dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Mr. Jamar Blue Check Verified on Twitter. Tisby, what's up, brother? Every How time. you doing, man? Every time. I told you it's my new intro for you, brother. All right, all right, Mr. Uh, Tyler. No, 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 three or four it. podcasts it's not burns. It's not going to flow right. just a, a, a side piece for It's not going to flow here. right. You know, Whoa. it's all good. Whoa. It's all good. It's all good. Shots fired, man. <laughs> I've always been true to pass the mic. Come on, brother. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for the positive feedback you've been giving us on episodes. We were sitting here and having this really interesting conversation. Jamar, what was this conversation we were having? And before I introduce Jamar, I shouldn't leave out the beard. Pastor Aaron James. Oh, you, see, you see, Aaron trying to wiggle his way onto you the know, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> he trying to, to get a permanent spot. Folk like, did we get a new co-host? He just trying to smooth on it. But that's cool, though. We love Aaron. And he got Aaron, so how you much doing, wisdom. Yes. I'm good. See, I just figure if you hang around long enough... <laughs> <laughs> then you know you you get to walk on even though you didn't have the scholarship. Right. So. Hey man, shoot your shot. <laughs> Three is more complete than two. You know, <laughs> you never know. But Jamar, what were we talking about, man? We have something in common—not just black men, not just married men, not just Christians, not just fathers. Now, what's what else do we have in common, man? It's something that is frequently uh, on my mind and heart is just living in the South living in the South in particular as black people mm. and uh, what that means, what it is and what it isn't, because it's pretty easy to caricature the South. Right, right. And so a lot of what I think about is what's really real and what ideas we need to sort of defuse and just tell people what it's really like down here. So what made you think about all this? Yeah, what yeah, was, yeah. What was the spark? So there was this article in the New York Times in July 2017 by a woman named Reniqua Allen, and she had an article called Racism is Everywhere, So Why Not Move South? <laughs> That's an interesting title. That's I don't know how I felt about that title, honestly. Title. Yeah, I'm not crazy about the framing because it sort of feeds the narrative that, you know, the South is about racism. Right, um, right. And since you can't escape it, well, you might as well not leave or, or you may as well go to the South. Now, mm. she fleshes it out much better in right. the article itself. But it, for me, it just brought up that conversation again of why would folks, particularly black folks, live in the South? So let me ask you this, Aaron. Now you, how long have you lived in the South? Like what's your, what's your transplant like history? Because you have roots here. Absolutely. Born and raised in the deep South. I was born in a little town, Independence, uh, about an hour north of New Orleans. Um, and then later on, I lived in ATL uh, for about four years. And so now you live on the Panhandle. And now so. I'm on the Panhandle, lower Alabama. <laughs> As they say. As yeah, they so say. It's so, different. Yes. So this is very important, which we'll get into, but... For me, I was born and raised in Pensacola, Florida on the Panhandle and then went to college in Virginia, then came back to Pensacola. So those are the only two places I've lived. So South in some respects for my entire life and then Deep South, which we'll get into here in a second. So, Jamar, your experience is different from ours. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a transplant, although I think I can claim something because my grandmother was born right. in a small town in Mississippi. But You're a southerner now, for sure. Man. Yeah, no doubt. Probably more southern than Midwestern, which is where I came from, north of Chicago. So Midwest to the core 
And I came down to the Deep South in 2003 as a teacher in the Delta. So I've lived in the Delta on the Arkansas side in a tiny little town. I've also lived in Jackson, Mississippi, and I go to school in Mississippi. So, you know, just all in that area. Um, and and I've, I've moved around a bit, a little bit in, in the South, as well as just uh, a couple places in the Midwest. But yeah. So if we're talking about the caricature of the region of the South, what are the differences between South, Deep South? Because I'll start with this. When I say I'm from Florida, people don't think Florida is the South. That's right. Now, yeah. if Florida is a big state. Now, if you're talking about below Jacksonville or Jacksonville and below, I get what where you're coming from because it's an entirely different world down there. But if we're talking about the panhandle from Tallahassee West in Florida, that's basically lower Alabama. And so that's why we call it that because it's, you know, we live, you know, just a few minutes from Alabama, the Alabama state line. So what we recognize is that there's a different consistency of, of attitudes, thoughts, prevailing narratives because of the history. So where have you guys seen the difference? Like what's the difference between South, Deep South? Jamar, you brought that up. So I'm curious, so like good. how do you, how do you delineate those? Yeah. So a couple of things. One, like South isn't just a geographic region. It's a state of mind, which mm. is why you can call parts of Florida, the South and parts of Florida, not really the South mm. because geographically they're still in the same area, but culturally, ideologically, is very very different. Right. So so that's one difference. But there's there's south and there's south south, or there's south and there's deep south, or there's south there's like metro south and there's rural south. Yeah. So all of those distinctions there. So even in the article that I mentioned before in the New York Times, she was mentioning bigger cities like Atlanta and Houston and calling those the south. Like I mean, yeah. really? You See, know. because Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but. ATL is so metro now. It's so metro. Houston and is so, so metro. So many now. transplants. Yes. You know, so many transplants. It's so metro that, in 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 essence, because there are so many transplants, they bring that you know, shall I say, northernness <laughs> with them. You sure. know, you, you know what I'm saying. And, and so, there's definitely a distinction between cities like Atlanta uh, and and Houston, and then other yeah. places within the South. So they bring a little city sauce with them. That's, yeah. that's just a little yeah. city sauce, you know, to kind of cut through the country. <laughs> and then now the city changes, or our, our our town changes. You know, yes. it shifts. And we've even seen that a little bit in our city as well. That where we live, it's just. A little bit different now because there are so many transplants, people coming in. So when people say, why do we live in the South? They're clearly talking about the reality for black men and women in the South historically. Right. So can we talk historian? Where can we find a historian? <laughs> I wonder. Like, this is crazy. Hmm. Hmm. That would so, be valuable. <laughs> so Dr. Tisby, you know, I, I know yeah, it's I know eventually. eventually soon Speak to be Dr. Things. Tisby. <laughs> <laughs> What's what's the history? What what are we seeing as far as movements in the South and why it's so dangerous? It seems obvious, but why is it so dangerous? I mean, growing up in a different region, and for me, the Midwest, it's like people don't think about the South in the in the last 50 years. They only think about it 50, 60 years ago sure. during the civil rights movement or before. And so it's sort of frozen in time in people's consciousness as this place where, you know, people with hoods and burning crosses are out like every night just chilling at the gas station or something. Um, and it's not like that. That's why it says easy to caricature it. Now, I I say that and in the same breath, I'm saying those things 
were a reality and still influence the present, right? Like Mississippi is the last state in the union with the Confederate canton on its flag and right. people will go to the grave defending that. That's real here. It's very jarring by it, the way. It's so jarring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um so that's there and that's a reality, but at the same time, there's there's so much more to it. And and for me as a transplant, what living in the South has allowed me to do is actually see racism nationally more clearly. Hmm. So so in the South, it's sort of a concentrated form because it's kind of in your face. It's it's around you all the time. I mean, you can't go. The counties are named after, you know, right. Confederate generals, um, the flag itself. The plantations. Uh, the, yeah. And yeah. The, the cities like Money, Mississippi, like that's a real place I could visit in an hour's drive. Right. So. All of those reminders are there, but at the same time, it's just a concentrated form of what we see nationally. Right. And so it's allowed me to see much more clearly, like, this is everywhere. It looks a little different, but, you know, just as folks from different areas come down south and kind of change the character of a city, folks from the south have influenced the character of the country, not saying that it right. originated in the south at all, but, uh, but it's everywhere. So, Aaron, would you agree that there's just a concentration of and we've even talked about this on the podcast before. Is there a concentration of this racial radioactivity is the word I used in the South? And what are some examples of, of things that you've seen? You don't have to get into specific stories. I don't want you to re-traumatize yourself yeah. or anything. But what are some specific instances that you've seen and some themes that we see in the South? It's something that we have to live with on a daily basis, right, that you're up close and personal with. So, for instance, like Jamar said, streets named after Confederate generals and, and things of that nature, buildings, schools, institutions. Um, but not only that, there is there's the fact that, you know, here am I, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, and I remember when the KKK had a very prominent presence uh, not too far from where I grew up. Um, right. we, we, we played on property not too far from where my ancestors ancestors were, were slaves on, on plantations. And so the specter of, of, of racism and, and, and the reality of it in the here and now, it's, it's a constant presence. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely there. There's, there's seeds in the ground. There's still these weeds that are present within the South of racial animus. And I think even more so a racial, a willful racial ignorance mm. that I think is very interesting as we talk about, you know, unpacking some of these concepts. And I think it's fair, even as Jamar said earlier in our talk, it's not every person in the South. It's not every city in the South. It's not this caricature that's unfair of just this every single person you run into is a racist but there is clearly an an atmosphere that's of right. tension and anger that's more of the radioactivity that i was referring to yeah it, it is an atmosphere of it because you can't walk five feet in the deep south without stumbling across some memory of our racial past and 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 there's a willful racial ignorance which perpetuates these problems certainly not only in the south definitely nationally but there's also in the south a a willful rewriting of our racial past right mm -hmm. like people want to remember it a certain way and mm -hmm. and they make up they actually make up stories or, or slant stories to make it about heritage not hate right that's a phrase that's often used down right. here and so but 
me coming from the Midwest and coming down south, that's it's it's sort of a good thing for me because in the South, because it's so what I call immediate, meaning the racial history is not mediated by anything. There's nothing standing in between you and the racial past that we've learned about and heard about. So it forces you to confront what America really is and what America has been. Whereas where I came from, I mean, we had a massive diversity of people, of ethnicities. You saw interracial relationships. You can really easily fall into the trap of ignoring or minimizing ongoing racial problems right. that's much harder to do in the south so so you kind of jumped the gun getting into why you live here but i would also like to make one mention which is the the point of the title of the article that you mentioned and that's that racism is everywhere so there is this racial tension in every part of the country like it's not just in the south would, would you agree aaron that there is racism everywhere that it's been you know, that it's just a higher concentration or a, a greater familiarity. And you've lived everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because, well, first of all, yes, absolutely. It's everywhere. It's just, it's like, um, it, it's something that takes on different forms and how it's expressed in policies right. and, and things of that nature, depending on what part of the country you're in. So like, for instance, um, there's a part of my family that was a part of the the great, you know, black uh, exodus out to sure. the West, you know, that have settled in Los Angeles and Long Beach and, and racism is there, the things that they've experienced, but it looks different than what it looked like in the South. And I would venture to say the same thing would be for people who live in the Northeast or or, or wherever. Um, and so absolutely everywhere. Yeah. It, it's also a great time to mention the book, The Warmth of Other Suns oh by Isabel yeah. Wilkerson, yes. which is probably one of the most important books to come out this century right. <laughs> regarding, you know, the migration and, and black opportunity and the shifting, the running away from racism, all these things. Now, we have to ask the question, Why? I, Aaron, why are you as a black man still living in the South? Because if there's this concentration, if there are these Confederate monuments, if there is this mentality, we've been called the N-word. I've had my life threatened. Why are we still here? Like, why don't we leave? <laughs> Our very presence is the pushback. Mm. So so there is there is a, a healthy defiance mm. simply by being and remaining um, and and. The fact that we're not acquiescing, we're, we're, we're not running. Right. And um, not only that, but I think one of the things that's overlooked, especially when people think about uh, the, the way we live in the South as, as black people, man, there is, look, there is such great dignity and culture right. and legacy right. that exists um, that, that simply by being and remaining and aiming to flourish and thrive, we, we, we've grabbed a hold of that baton. And, and I see it as an honor. Like, to be honest, you know, the more I learn about history and, you know, not in a contentious way, but I walk around with kind of like a, um, a redemptive chip on my shoulder. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, don't use that against you. This right? recording, Aaron. Come on now. <laughs> you know, uh, because it's like, no, no, I'm here. Um, and uh, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, that's, I think, a really powerful element about being in the South is we have nothing. The more you understand about the history of our ancestors and our their legacy, which is us in the South, we have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm, we have only nothing. things to be proud of. Mm. We have only things to be thankful for. 
And I think that's a powerful thing. I also made the point that the the length and the concentration, the level of racial animus in the South requires an equal and opposite response mm. of of force, of uh, rootedness, of confidence, of dignity to push it back. Right. That it takes active pushback to 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 keep it from spreading because where where it starts in the South, it kind of spreads to the rest of the country and there's so many influences and we even saw it with this this past election and so many different things that these touch points. So it's almost like we have to be here to push. And then, you know, another thing that I that I mentioned is you're not running away from racism. I mean, you're not running away from sin. Like so there's oh, well, if I leave the South, I'm going to I'm going to be in a place where everything's going to be great. Huh? Like there's sin everywhere. Like that's bad. You did. That's bad theology. Grass ain't greener, bro. So, I mean, that question why would a black person live in the South is a question every black person in America could ask themselves. Why would a black person live in America with Mm. this nation's history, right? And I think the answer is pretty similar. This is our land too. This is our history too. We're Americans too. We're Southerners too, in the sense of we're not going to let hate dictate our legacy. We're not going to let racism tell us where we can and can't exist. So like Aaron would say, you know, uh, just existing down here is an right. act of resistance, mm. right? Um, so that's one of the reasons, but I myself, it's been a pilgrimage for me. Mm. Um, living in the deep South has taught me more about what it means to be a black person in America than any other place I can imagine. Because you're confronted with the good, the bad, the ugly right. of race. And it has, like you were saying, Tyler, plugged me in to a legacy of resistance in a visceral, tangible way that I don't think I could have gotten elsewhere. And so it's actually dignified my black identity, you know, by saying, look, your people persevered here. They found a way to thrive here and are still doing so. And guess what, brother? You're part of that stream. You're part of that. You have that strength within you. And even speaking further, because, you know, I as a preacher and (laughs) the three of us as as Christians, we cannot get away from the history of Southern folk religion, Mm -hmm. like this sort Mm -hmm. of of spirit, this tradition of Christianity that has existed within the black church and has existed within the true and authentic representation of the gospel in the South. That is something we cannot get elsewhere in the sense that there was not, and, and there's opposition everywhere, there's racism everywhere, but when you talk about the the safe haven of a Sunday morning service, it takes on a different light when lives were in danger and at risk. When you talk about true forgiveness of brother, the enemy, loving your enemy, it takes on a different light when you consider all that went on in the South and when you consider how the church thrived in the South, that there's this atmosphere of spirituality. There's this atmosphere of faith in God. There's an atmosphere of dependence upon the sovereignty of God. Now, some of that stuff is, you know, cliche that people throw around, but a lot of it is true experiential discipleship where it's a powerful connection to our previous generation. They lived through it. We can live through it too. Exactly. 
And, yeah. and, and living in the Delta in particular really helped me see that because the way the rest of America sees the South is really the way like places like Mississippi view the Delta. I mean, it's like, mm. oh, you don't go there. You know, the racism is really bad there. Um, and again, a lot of that is a caricature. But what you do, and I went to a, a, a black missionary Baptist church in the Delta, and you talk about that folk religion, man, you could feel it in your bones, like it was right. welling up from the ground, uh, from, you know, the the ancestors and everything, just everything from the way they sang to the way they preached to, to just the fellowship that you had spoke of a heritage that says, we may not have anything in this world, but we know God is good, and we're going to celebrate him, and yeah. we're going to rejoice in him no matter what. And that's that transcendent, Holy Ghost, spiritual Christian joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take Come away. On, and I learned that down here. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, so much discipleship, so much experiential religion. Yeah. And then I think the last thing I would say in that regard, and Aaron, you can kind of piggyback off of this, it's this idea that the forces that seek to truly marginalize us, truly disenfranchise us, to truly get rid of us, they want us to leave. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying, and, and again, this is not a blanket statement. We're speaking of specifically those who, if we all can agree that hate does exist, that xenophobia does exist, that racism does exist, if we all agree on that, that there are people who do truly want to make America white again, if we do agree on that, then we recognize that there are forces that are antagonistic to the idea of representation, progress, these ideas that we push here on Pastor Mike. And if you think about that, they want us to leave. You know, you, you know why? Because when we get together, we're too unique. We're too creative to suppress. Like we're too blessed. Dangerous. <laughs> like yeah. we're too dangerous. Think about it. It's like the Black Rose, Wall Street idea that when Black Wall Street was at its height. It had something had to give because it was too much entrepreneurship. Same thing happened in our city historically. Very black city. And then what happened? Racism had they had to lynch two dudes in a very public way in downtown of our city. Why? Because it was getting to the point where we were starting to run everything. We were we make too many babies. We got too strong a family. We got too much faith. We got too much ingenuity. And, and it's crazy to think that we are actually, by giving up, we're actually playing into the hands of the people who want to oppress us. That we staying together is the most powerful response to people wanting to push us away. What you think, yeah. Aaron? Well, here's what I think about. So one of the reasons that the Delta was such um, an important place in terms of uh, cotton, slavery, and just all of those things uh, – that it was that it, by its very location, the ground was so fertile. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was rich perfect. Soil. It was rich soil, and and I think it's very interesting that just as that rich soil uh, paved the way for all of the cotton production, but then all of the oppression and the things that that took place as a result of that. Right, that's how I see the spiritual heritage of the South. I mean, I think that 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 out of that there is such a rich soil that 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 we're that that the black church in the South has been sown into, that the roots are just going to continue to grow deeper. And that's the soil that we're planted in. Right. And, and so the way forward for us, I mean, 
man, it's just it, it's just such a nourishing factor for us to continue to recognize that right. because I think it plots the way forward, man. And it's just such a such a deep well of nourishment and encouragement for our souls. Yeah, and it's also a place where we see. What we see consistently throughout the scriptures is under the most amount of adversity, we trusted the Lord the most. And also there is a greater chance to see the Lord do incredible, mind-blowing things that we didn't think were possible, but we had to be put in that position to trust him, to see him where if we never went through that hardship, we would never know what he was capable of. And, you know, I've thought about it um, from the standpoint of saying that, you know, the South is radioactive when it comes to race. And really what I meant by that when I mentioned that was it's radioactive to this kind of kumbaya, cotton candy, racial reconciliation that we've we've had now, which is, oh, let's just come together and love one another and listen to one another. These cliches, it's, it's radioactive to that. But I think the way to true biblical reconciliation is the appreciation of black agency. Exactly. And black agency thrives and booms in the, like the celebration of it, not the yeah. diminishing of it. Not saying, oh, well, if you talk about these things, if you talk about your heritage, if you talk about your past, if you talk, you're being divisive. No, actually, you're, wow, this is good to confront. And I think what most people, the reason why there hasn't been reconciliation to the extent that it could be in the South is because people are not willing to appreciate and celebrate black agency, not willing to appreciate and celebrate black excellence. Even saying those things, people, some people wouldn't even do that. Exactly. And and that's one of the things that living in the deep South has taught me is that we are more than just victims. Black people are more than simply victims. What we are, are survivors and thrivers. We've always pushed back against oppression. We've always resisted marginalization. And these folks who have done it most faithfully aren't typically the most celebrated people. So as you study history... <laughs> we don't even know their names. Exactly, man. exactly. But we're the products of them. Right, you know, absolutely. if they hadn't done it, we wouldn't be here today. And so in history, there's this 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 turn in, in academic historical studies of going from a, a top-down approach to a bottom-up approach. And and the top-down approach would, would focus on the big organizations, the big events, the big people, all the names you would recognize from history and from the civil rights movement. A bottom-up approach says this stuff was... Was grassroots, right? Like it was, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer is a name that everybody should recognize and some do, but there are a lot of women like her, black women, who resisted in every way they knew how uh, within an extremely strongly circumscribed reality that right. they face because of racism and Jim Crow and white supremacy. But, 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 but it's men, it's women, it's children, it's generation after generation after generation that found a way to not only live but to make progress, right. even if it was incremental progress, but it's the progress that allows us to be in a studio today recording a podcast talking about black agency, right? right? And I think the point isn't, hey, everyone moved to the South because of this. <laughs> the point is, bloom wherever you're planted. Yeah. You know, the point is to take wherever you are right now and don't think that there's greener pastures elsewhere to the point of neglecting the mission right where you live. Whether you're in the Northwest or the Northeast or the Deep South, 
or the Midwest, it doesn't really matter because there's going to be opposition everywhere. But I believe that God has given us a call regardless. You know, we see in Acts 17 that he orders the times that we live in and the habitations of our dwelling so that we would seek him and find him. He's not far from any of us. That also means that there's mission and vision for each one of us. There's a call for each one of us. And that first call is living in light of the Imago Dei he's created us in. Hmm. You can do that anywhere. Like the Lord has given you all the equipment right where you are to live, to stand, to influence others. Yeah. And I and I'm my last word is just like coming from a different part of the country, don't caricature the South as having worse racism <laughs> than anywhere else. Or that's where the quote real racists are. It's everywhere, son. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Rodney King was LA. Eric Garner was New York. Uh, you know, uh, Trayvon Tamir Martin Rice. is in Florida, Tamir, Tamir Rice, Rice Ohio. Ohio. Uh, Mike Brown is Ferguson in Missouri. Like it's everywhere, you know. And so it's too easy. And 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 actually, what we're trying to do is exonerate ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're trying to say, well, we're innocent because we're not as bad as the South when it comes to racism. Man, and even conservatives and liberals, like this is the whole idea that, oh, so the conservatives are the one who are who are the real racists. The and real, the, you yeah. know, like what? Like as if liberals have like this sterling history of uh, dealing with uh-oh. with racism. I'm just tired of that narrative. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't get it. Like if you decide that you want to be a part of a political party. Great. I mean, there's complexity there, but. Don't think that one side or one ideology has cornered the market on treating the Imago Day, you know, in light of the scripture. Right. They both flawed. Right. All of them flawed. And, and the, the uh, iterations as well, the libertarian, the social, the whatever, man. Like, everybody's it's got everywhere. issues and problems, man. Pastor, you going to preach us out? <laughs> I was waiting for him. Look, man. I was about to just alley-oop him. I mean, racism is interwoven into the very fabric of our nation. Hmm. And racism has multiple forms and multiple shapes by which it has been expressed throughout the history of our country and even in the way that it's being expressed right now. And so for us to recognize the fact that regardless of whether you're in the South, you're out West, you're in the Northeast, you're a Midwesterner, that whole idea of of flourishing where you are is very important because the truth of the matter is there is a common bond and foundation. Talk about it. And and, and so we have to recognize that. I mean, I mean, Jamar, you would know much better than the two of us, but but just even tracking the the the, the migrations and the movement of, of black people throughout, we have a common we have a common foundation. We have a common origin yes. as it pertains to our history, and so and so there that in and of itself creates a solidarity. And so, regardless of where we are, racism does exist. And so, uh, giving giving honor and recognition to black agency, dignity, and excellence, uh, regardless of what corner of the country uh, we live in is very important. I think people should take that. Yeah, man. It's so important, man. Bloom where you're planting, but don't be afraid of the South, man. Don't talk Don't talk down about us, man. Come on. We here, we ain't... We still doing work, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And this, actually, there's a re-migration. Black people are exactly, coming back. Now they're so, coming back, which is know. the whole point of the article. Yeah. And the South brought you past the mic, so never forget that. <laughs> <laughs>